Peter says, listen, growing in Christ is, uh, is an analogy. Uh, the analogy, of, of course, as he uses, is of a baby. Crave the pure milk of the word that you may thereby grow. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, uh, come to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones. The scripture here refers to Christ as a living stone, but it also refers to you, his followers, as living stones also, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture. And it's interesting. Uh, I have a lot of Bibles, and in many of my Bibles, the Old Testament passages are written in italics. So you know immediately, whenever you come to that italicized section, that uh, he's pulling out something out of the Old Testament. And so that's what Peter's doing right here. Uh, he's quoting an Old Testament passage, Isaiah 28:16. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, he pulls another Old Testament passage out here. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and he pulls another one a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, and here we find again the mention of priest, priesthood. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse number one refers to the world we leave behind. It's not pretty, but uh, the Bible is very specific about it. Uh, the Bible gets right down and, and calls it just the way it is. Uh, Peter said, listen, I want you to leave these things behind. Then he says that I want you to uh, pick up these things. We have a new beginning. We have a new family. Uh, we are the children of God in a new spiritual family. Verse number two says, as newborn babes. Well, this particular type of, of message, of course, was initiated by Jesus in John chapter three. Whenever we talk about babies uh, being born, we think of what Jesus said in John chapter three, verse three. We have that. Let's read it. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see kingdom of God. Uh, Peter, Peter picks up this terminology, and in chapter 1, we saw that earlier uh, in the last few weeks. Over in verse number 3, he talks about being begotten again, or giving new birth to. And so we find this particular, uh, this particular teaching running throughout the Bible. Uh, Nicodemus, of course, Jesus was speaking to right here, and uh, Nicodemus was wondering what he was talking about. And in verse number 5, John 3, 5, I think we have that. He says this, let's read it. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
What he's talking about here is, I, I know you know this, he's, he's saying that people need to be born twice in order to see the kingdom of God. Once physically, once spiritually. Uh, once by water, the other by the word. And so therefore, uh, when we talk about being born again, we talk about, uh, we echo the words of Jesus. You must be born of the spirit. That's further described for us, the actual experience of it in Titus 3.5. Let's look here. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Nothing that we have done is um, good enough to save us. Uh, it's his mercy that has saved us by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. We are born of the Holy Spirit. We are not only born of the Spirit, the Spirit comes into our, our life and regenerates us, makes us alive to God, but we are also born of the Word. We have actually, spiritually, two parents. We have the Spirit and we have the Word. Like in the natural birth, it takes two parents. In the spiritual world, it takes two parents as well. It takes the Holy Spirit and it takes the Word of God. Now, Peter refers to this, and I'll, I'll ask you to look back to chapter 1 here with me. Verse number 23, he says this, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We are born again through the word. The word is pretty important. Uh, the word has life. Uh, this book is different than other books. Could I have an amen on that this morning? It's different. It's, and we make a lot out of it because it needs to be, it needs to have a lot made out of it. It's different than other books. And that's why we keep pressing and we keep talking and we keep encouraging uh, to grow through the power of the Word of God. Now, the Word of God has life. Hebrews 4.12 says this, and so let's read that together. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God is living. Never forget that. Whenever God's word is shared, and that's what we're all to be doing, I know you know that, uh, we are sharing with the world living words, words that do not die. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I have sent it. And so as we echo these living words, um, those words do not come back void. They live in the lives of the people who hear them. God's word has life. God's word gives life. And God's word nourishes life. And that's, that's the meaning that we want to talk about from this point on in the service. God's word nourishes life. Nothing can replace God's word. Now I know that we're always tempted to replace the word of God with other things. You know, we get into a Christian environment and we get hooked on Christian entertainment. Or we get hooked on this little element of Christianity or that little element of Christianity. And anything that we get hooked on that takes us away from the word of God 
we ought not to be hooked on at all. The word of God must take superiority, must take a place of preeminence in our life always because we were born by, through the living word and we are nourished then by it. Verse number one says we turn away from these things, but verse two says this, I want you to crave the pure milk of the word. Babies crave milk, don't they? Uh, my third son, Stephen, has a little boy. He's two. Every now and then he fits the definition of terrible two. But I'll tell you, the kids love milk. And they have these little cups. Now, all of mothers know about these cups. They're not supposed to spill. Sippy cups, you know. The lid fits on real tight. He walks around with that thing in his mouth. And he plays with the thing in his mouth. And then when he wants a drink, he just puts it up like that. He takes a drink and he goes about his playing. Well, he came over to the house uh, a few weeks ago and, uh, and I didn't have any milk. I thought we were going to have a riot. He kept saying, milk, milk, milk. I went to the store and I bought chocolate milk. <laughs> no wonder parents can't stand the uh, uh, grandparents. I mean, I don't think the kid ever tasted chocolate milk before it ruined him. Uh, kids crave milk, you know that? First uh, Peter 2.2 here says, we, the New Living Translation says this, you must crave pure spiritual milk. And so if your Bible has desire there, right above it somewhere, crave, because I, I like that word. You must crave pure spiritual, uh, pure spiritual milk that you may grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for nourishment is what Peter is saying here. As a baby cries out for milk. Uh, Dick and Bernice Leach, many years ago, were listening to the church radio program. And uh, they were going to a church that really didn't preach much of the Bible. And they'd been kind of wondering, you know, God, what do you want us to do? And so Dick went home and he told his wife, he said, listen, I heard this guy on the radio. And it sounds like what we believe. And so they came to our church and that was a long, long time ago. And Bernice is still here. And I was just talking to her the other day. And uh, she's one of our senior citizens living in a senior citizen's home. But uh, she's one of the great supporters of our church. Uh, she has a ladies' Bible class. She says, I teach seven ladies the Bible every week in my senior citizen's home. Uh, and they, what they were doing is, listen, they were craving the word of God in their church. And that's good. And I think everybody needs to do that. There was a couple... Here, we know them well, and they come every now and now. And not long ago, she came in the church, and she says, in our church, I can only take so many book reports. And, and we don't understand that in a church like this, because we're not into that. Uh, but everybody should crave the word of God in the church. Uh, this word here, crave or desire, is a strong word. It's actually the strongest command. Peter says, listen, I want you to crave... The word of God, in other words, crave soul food. Let's say that together. Crave soul food. We must feed our soul. We must build ourselves up in the most holy faith. And what this is saying is, listen, you've got to make this a priority. This has to be a priority. You have to crave these things. You know, do you know how you, you get when you crave something? My mother used to crave Hershey bars. 
in the nursing home. And everybody would go from the church to the nursing home with their Hershey bars for my mother. And they would take her these M&Ms and they filled this big jar up of M&Ms. And I always told her, I said, listen, share it with all the people in the nursing home. All the aides, you want to get good care, you share M&Ms and Hershey's with everybody around. And she did. And she, uh, she got the greatest care because she had chocolate. And every now and then she would run out of chocolate. And, uh, it, and, and I would come and she would say, I thought I told you to bring some Hershey bars. <laughs> and so it was prying on her mind. Now, we are, listen to this, we are to crave the word of the Lord. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Uh, and it says here, there's a special type of the word that we're supposed to crave. It is the pure word, unadulterated and uncorrupted. You know, it's so important for you to learn to feed yourself. I, I like the term self-feeder. So that the word of God doesn't have to pass through so many people until it arrives at your doorstep. Because everybody editorializes the word of God. Everyone has their slant, their nuance, their little shade of the truth. Uh, but when you, when, you, when you start to grow up, you start to realize, hey, Les, the best I can do is, is to get the unadulterated, the pure word of God right off of the pages of the Holy Scriptures taught to me by the Holy Spirit, the author of the Bible. Well, uh, you know, editorializing is introducing an opinion into the reported facts. And I'll tell you, we're pretty good at that. That's not the purest form of the word of God, for sure. Um, one of our newer believers in the church told me, you know, every time I'm in the car, I'm, I got the Christian radio station on. You know, that's okay. Because I remember, I don't, I'm not into that. But I remember when I first started to grow, boy, when I was about 18 or 19 years old and I was just taken off spiritually, I, I felt the same way. I used to listen to a guy, his name was Charles Half. He was the radio personality for the Christian Jew Hour. And I'm not going to ask you if you remember that because I don't think you do. And I couldn't wait till he came on the radio because he taught so many awesome things and I just couldn't wait for him to come on. Uh, but I eventually grew out of that. You know, the radio is supplemental. Uh, now I go to the best source, and that's the Word of God. And when you are face-to-face -face with God's Word, the unadulterated, uh, uneditorialized Word of God, you can't get any better than that. And so here Peter is saying this. I want you to crave the pure milk of the Word that you may grow. Now write the word up in there, that you may grow up. That's what he's talking about. Uh, whenever you, and that's, that's God's goal for every single one of us because how many people do you meet in, in the Christian world who say, listen, I'm just not the Christian I should be. And they're always apologizing for their anemic state of Christianity. Well, Peter says, listen, you can't do that. Don't, don't live like that. Uh, and then he goes on and he quotes uh, something here from the Old Testament too. Verse number three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, tasting proceeds craving. I was reading about an event, a missionary on a foreign field, a very hard field. And he, you know, he had, he, 
he had trouble just doing the normal thing that we do to bring people to Christ. And so he adopted this philosophy. He would go out to the people in the, that he was ministering to, and he would say, listen, the only thing I want you to do is taste the word of God. Just taste and see if God is who he says he is. And so many people came to Christ just on his invitation for them to taste and see that the Lord was good. Well, we are children in the same family. We we're born again. You have brothers and sisters all around you everywhere, not, in, not only in this church, but everywhere around the world. We are also stones in the same building. Look at, look at verse number four. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed, indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. We are stones in the same building. Come to the living stone. Verse number six, as I told you as we read through here, Peter starts to quote some of the Old Testament. And this first verse here, he quotes part of this Old Testament verse, Isaiah 28, 16. Now we're going to put the, real, uh, the, the Old Testament verse up here. It looks a little bit different than what Peter did. Let's read this one, okay? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and whoever believes will not act hastily. Look at all these different definitions. I will lay in Zion a stone, a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Now, Peter used part of that verse in his quotation right here. Um, also, uh, we have this next one in verse number seven. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Uh, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Uh, P Peter used this verse when he was preaching in Acts chapter four, uh, when he was talking to the people about the stone. Uh, he added another dimension to this whole, this whole metaphor of, of, of Jesus being the stone. And then after he quoted that verse, he, he, he used this verse, which we often quote, and it's, it's one of my favorites, Acts 4.12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Uh, what I want to do is go back and, and just elaborate a little bit on these different stones that are mentioned. First of all, a foundation stone. Let's think about that a minute. Matthew, and, and whenever you think about Jesus being the foundation, I know what verse you go to in your mind. You go to Matthew 16, 18, don't you? Let me read it for you. I don't think we have that. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Whenever Jesus was speaking to Peter about uh, the foundation of the church, he talked to Peter and he said, listen, Peter, you are Peter. And now the Greek word for Peter is Petros, which means small stone. And then he said, upon this rock, that's Petra, and that means foundation boulder, according to John MacArthur. Foundation boulder. Now, there are a numbers of different ways that people understand Matthew 16, 18. But I think the simplest way, 
And the way that I enjoy understanding it the most is the fact that Jesus is telling Peter, listen, you're a, you're a small rock, but I'm, I am the foundation of the church. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11 this, for no, let's read it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. Uh, if Jesus is the head of the body of Christ, and we believe he is, why wouldn't he be the foundation of the church? Now, there are other people who believe that the church was built upon the foundation of the confession that Peter made. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In Matthew 16, 18, remember, he says, The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The word Hades means death, means the grave, the powers of hell. Uh, the church will prevail, is what Jesus was telling Peter. The church of Corinth had been established by Paul on the foundation of Christ. He is the foundation of the church. He not only is the foundation of the church, but he's the chief cornerstone. Now, those people who work in construction understand this terminology. A cornerstone is a stone that's in the corner, uh, down near the foundation on the corner, and it's the, it's the beginning of the building. It gives the direction. Two walls come together, and the cornerstone is set there. Jesus is the cornerstone. He gives the direction for the building. He's the foundation. He gives the direction. But in the Bible, he is also noted as the stone of stumbling. Look at verse number 8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. What does that mean? Well, Jesus will either be a foundation stone, a cornerstone, or a stumbling stone. Now, what does it mean for Christ to be a stumbling stone? Look at verse number, the end of verse number 8. They stumble being disobedient to the word. That's what it means. When somebody is disobedient to the word of God, they stumble over the stone of Christ, the rock of offense. Either we build our life on his forgiveness or we are crushed by his justice as the stone of stumbling. Well, Jesus is all these things and more to the church. But you and I are living stones in a spiritual house. Uh, we are God's building. You know, each time a person accepts Jesus, another stone is quarried out of the pit of sin. And that's exciting, isn't it? Uh, when somebody is born again by the power, power of God, and God changes their life and changes their desires. Uh, we are not only living stones, but the Bible says here we're priests. Look up at verse number five. We are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And then again in verse number nine, it refers to a royal priesthood. You know, in the Old Testament, God's people uh, had a priesthood. But in the New Testament, they became the priesthood. And what are, what, what are these New Testament priests supposed to do? They're supposed to offer up spiritual sacrifices. This is in verse number five. Acceptable to God. The sacrificial system is finished because Jesus was the last sacrifice. Uh, whenever Jesus died upon the cross, you know, you know what he said. He said, it's finished. Hebrews 10.12 says this, and let's, let's read it. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. No more sacrifices. Um, now... 
those, those bloody sacrifices have turned into other sacrifices. Hebrews 13.15 says this. I love this, this verse. Let's read it. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, we can all do that, can't we? And that is a good thing to do. Well, Jesus today is our high priest in heaven. And we are ministering on earth. We are leading people into the presence of God. Uh, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. I promise you this will be the last if you get through this, okay? Let's read it. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here we find that Jesus is our high priest in heaven. You and I are carrying out the priesthood on earth. When Jesus uh, went to heaven, he displaced Caiaphas as the high priest. And you displaced the priest. And today, remember Jesus said, greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. Not greater in power, but greater in number. As the, the priesthood back in that day in the Old Testament was a very, very important function, and God held it up rather highly. Uh, the same today. You and I function uh, in a new role, but uh, we are called the priesthood of believers. And we teach the word of God, and we bring people to the high priest, our mediator, Jesus Christ. We have an important function today. Uh, we worship him by the sacrifice of, of, uh, of our praise. We also worship him in our body, our body. Romans 12 says, present your body a living what? Sacrifice. You know, I know I've talked to a lot of people, and they say, you know, I'd gladly die for the Lord. Well, you know, he doesn't want that right now. He wants us to live for him. He wants us to lay down our body and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, count me in. I will be a sacrifice for your name. And when we do that, good things happen. You know, God originally wanted Israel to be the kingdom of priests, but uh, they didn't do a, a very good job of it. And so now he has a nation of priests all over the world doing the work of the ministry, bringing people to Christ. Well, in this passage of scripture that I spoke to you this morning from, uh, Peter says, listen, we belong to one family. You know, not all children in the family are alike, aren't they? Um, we, are, we are here, we're family members, but we're all different. We celebrate our diversity, but we come together in unity for the ministry. Uh, we, we weld ourselves together as one single team. We are one family. We are living stones in the same building, and we are priests in the same ministry. Uh, we are in this thing together, and that's a good thing because, you know, we need each other. We really do. We need each other. And it's so neat when we come together and we rely upon each other in tough times. And uh, we rejoice with each other when things are going a little bit easier. Uh, one in unity, that's what the Lord wants from, from his church. Let's bow our heads in prayer. As we think about these things...
this morning. Uh, I want you to um, think about your place in the family of God. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've never made that step to Christ. Maybe maybe you've been born just once, not twice. Uh, I want to encourage you to invite Christ into your heart. uh, To turn away from those things that have turned you away from God. And turn to him in repentance and faith. So that you can be a part, a legitimate part of the body of Christ. You can join the family through the new birth. Uh, We're stones in the same building. We're priests in the same ministry. Uh, I want us all to thank the Lord for giving us a little part of his ministry. As we go out into our workplace, uh, we are ministering there for the Lord. We're sharing his word with other people. 